0: and you open our hearts and our ears for you to minister to us. Lord, we pray that you would do all of these things as we lift our praises to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One, two, three,
1: four. Let's join the angels this morning. We're gonna join the heavens. They're already singing. Let's sing with them. Turn your ear to heaven. And hear
2: the noise inside, the sound of. how divine this song of ours will rise oh how constant how divine this song of ours will Oh
1: That's not the way he wanted it to be. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, his only son, that if we believe on him, we will have eternal life and will be reunited to that holy God. In 1 John, it says, and I'm going to read it. I don't want to get it wrong. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. And we're going to sing about that fear in a minute, but fear the way that we perceive it might be fear of, going into our workplace or fear of uh, having a conversation with somebody that, that we don't want to have a conversation with. But that's not what this means. It says, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. To be perfected in love means that we're reunited to Christ and God the Father. To have that fear of punishment means we're not sure about our eternity. We're not sure about our sin. But Jesus is taking care of it. And when we stand in his perfect love, we stand in eternity and reunification with God the Father. So when we sing, my fear doesn't stand a chance, we're saying, it doesn't. We are united once again to God, our Father and Creator. That's what we're singing this morning. We're singing God's salvation message. My fear doesn't stand a chance. That punishment, when I'm in his perfect love. So let's declare that together this morning.
3: darkness tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own and when brokenness and pain is all I know oh, I won't be shaken no I won't be shaken cause my fear. Doesn't stand a chance when I stand to hide, for I am not a captive to the lies, and I'm not afraid to leave my past behind. Oh, I won't be shaken, no, I won't be shaken. say Firm foundation, my firm foundation. Do you believe it? Sing it. Oh, I. In your name, Lord, I keep singing out your praise, Lord. You're, you're the rock of all my days, my firm foundation. You're my firm foundation. And I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. And I'm accepted. You were condemned. And I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. forgiven because you were forsaken Jesus, you are my king. Jesus, you are my king. Jesus, you are my king. You, my king, will Die. die.
0: Today we have sung of the wonderful love of the Lord and just what he has done for us through his death and resurrection. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Jesus died for us, so whether we are living or standing in his presence in heaven, we'll be with him. That means the Lord Jesus wants you with him right now. He wants you to know and experience his presence. He wants to spend time with you being your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your everlasting father, your prince of peace. He desires that right now. And he died in order to bring that to you. You know, AJ's already laid out the gospel for us this morning. Our sin separated us from God. God's holiness could not be with us because of our sin. And Jesus did something about that. He died on the cross for you and I, you and me, so that our sins would be covered and we could live with him right now. How appropriate that the Lord's Supper has been called communion. A place to commune with the Lord. Not because we chose to come to church this morning, not because we are somehow righteous in the sight of God because of our own merit, but know that we are righteous in the sight of God because of the body and blood of Jesus broken and poured out for us So today we're going to celebrate communion together and the fact that we have relationship with God. At this time, I'm going to ask our servers to come and get prepared. The way we do communion here at Victory Life is rather simple. We're going to ask you in whatever section that you are in, if you will stand and move to the center aisle, receive the elements of communion, and then return to your seat via the side aisles We'll wait there with the bread and the cup, and then we'll pray over them together and take communion together. If you are not able to come and receive the elements, no problem. One of our couples standing here right now getting prepared will be coming to you. So if for whatever reason you cannot come up the aisles today to receive communion, just raise a hand about shoulder height, and they will look for you and come to you to serve you communion today. And so that's how we're going to do it in just a moment. But a word before we do. We recognize that the reason we need to take communion is because of human sin. So once you've received your elements and once you've made your way back to your seat, I do encourage you to spend some time in prayer and say, Lord, is there any part of me that isn't given over to you? Is there any part of me that is in sin today? Would you convict my heart would you forgive me and would you bring me closer to you so those are our tasks and that that's what we're going to do as the band continues to play so at this time you can stand and come receive the elements and then return to your seats and wait for prayer The Apostle Paul passed on to the Corinthian church what had been passed on to him. He said that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body, which is given for you. We believe in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came fully human while also being fully God to be the second Adam to give his life perfectly in service to the Lord and do what we ought to have done. His body truly served, led, gave, and then died for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you today for spending your earthly life in service to fallen humanity. And we thank you, Lord, that in your humility you did not despise the cross, but you suffered You suffered, and you died for us. Let us eat together. And after supper, Jesus took a cup, And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood, which has been poured out for you. Blood is the most precious substance on earth. Without blood, life is not life. There is no life. The Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Sin is serious enough that blood needs to be shed to pay for it. Jesus shed his blood for you and for me to cover our sin, to make us new, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Let's thank the Lord for his blood that covers over all our sin. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we bless your name that you have covered over all of our sin, that you have made us new given us the right to be called the children of God, adopted us into your family, made us heirs and co-heirs with Christ. You poured out your blood so that all of the blessings and benefits of being a child of God could be ours. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for covering our sin and making us new. Let us drink together. On the seat back in front of you, there is a place to put your communion cup so you're not encumbered with it for the remainder of the service. But let's just sing that chorus, Amazing Love, one more time and thank Jesus for his sacrifice.
3: Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. In all I do, I honor you.
0: And let it be so. All right, at this point, children, you may be dismissed for young disciples. Look at that. After communion, they don't run to young disciples. It's shocking. So <laughs> That's great. Well, welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. We're so glad you're worshiping with us here in first service today. Want to make a special announcement today before we go any further. Uh, Many of you know that Victory Life is very much a church that desires to partner in world mission. And we have nine missionaries, I believe, that we support on a regular basis. We get to hear from them from time to time. And as we have occasion, we like to send out short-term missions teams onto the field. Many years ago, we helped build and plant a church in Jalisco, Mexico, which at that time was the black tar heroin capital of the world for its production and its dissemination. Well, the light of the gospel is moving into Jalisco and has moved into Jalisco. And we have the opportunity this summer to send another mission team to Mexico, to Jalisco in southwest Mexico. And we wanted to make you aware that this trip was happening. We've been talking all year about the idea of shining our light into the world And I do suppose that there may be a few of you who would say, the next time that we're going on a missions trip, I'm going. The Lord's already spoken to you, and you've heard that from him. Well, the next time is this summer, July 1st through the 8th, to Jalisco. We're going to head down there. The leader of our team is standing in the doorway right now. She'll wave at you. Seanette is there, and she would love to talk to you if you have an interest in going. One of the reasons that this trip is so special is we're allowing youth Age students to go. We're allowing our high schoolers to be a part of this trip. In fact, we're encouraging that. And so if you have a high schooler going into ninth grade or older that you think you better learn a little bit more about God's kingdom in the world, we would encourage you parents to send them along. We have at least two sets of parents who are going on this trip already who you could trust your child to, or if you don't want to do that, send your child and send yourself and go on the team as well to Jalisco, Mexico, when we partner with La Fuente Ministries, it's always exciting because there's the perfect blend of physical labor and gospel sharing. You get to do both. And I should also mention you get to bring practical help to people in terms of just uh, ministering to children and, and people who are hungry. And the, uh, it's just an incredible, incredible opportunity. So if the Lord's been leaning on you and saying, hey, it's your time to go, I'd love you to stop by and talk to Sha in the lobby today. She will be waiting with a brochure to speak to you about it. By talking to her, you're not committing to going. You're committing to pray about going. And then she'll let you know when the follow-up meeting is to sort of lock in your participation. If money is an issue, it's not an issue. If you're wondering, how would I ever afford to go on a trip like that? You, would, you don't. The Lord sends you on a trip like that. We have sent dozens and dozens and dozens of missions teams in the 38 years here at Victory Life, and we have never fallen short on support. So if you're worried about money, don't. We'll take care of you. We'll make sure that you can get out on this trip. It's going to be a powerful summer. And we'll look forward in later July to hearing all that God did through our missions team to Jalisco, a church, as I mentioned, that we've helped fund and build ourselves, kind of a sister church, if you will. ...down in Mexico. So, see Seanette in the lobby after service today if you have any questions, and she'll get a a brochure in your hands. If you have your Bibles this morning, I would encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 13. This is the last week we'll be in Acts chapter 13, and we'll be actually getting into Acts 14. Aren't you just tickled? We're going to make our way into Acts 14, and we are going to, for all intents and purposes for us today, wrap up Paul's first evangelistic journey... We've been talking the past three weeks about learning a master class in evangelism, in gospel sharing, from the Apostle Paul. We learned some great concepts the last two weeks from the life of Paul and Barnabas and their missionary team, and now we're going to kind of close out for our purposes the first missionary journey, even though after what we read today, there are two more stops in that missionary journey. But we're going to go on next week into the second missionary journey, because otherwise, if we do every single stop, we'll be preaching Paul and shining our light into the world until you know, next summer. And I don't mean 2023. So not going to make every stop. We're just going to look at some highlights. Today, we're going to talk about the nature of persecution, we're going to talk about the fact that things don't always go well. In fact, we're going to kind of let today's talk reflect all of the persecution that Paul and Barnabas are going to face, or Paul and Timothy and Silas are going to face. We're kind of, this will be the persecution sermon, so aren't you glad? We'll get it out of the way, because on just about every stop, something goes wrong, right? If you've ever read Acts, you know on every stop, opposition and persecution arises. Well, we're going to get it all wrapped up into one today. We're not going to see all the persecutions today, but we're going to explain what we do in the face of them. Many years ago, when I was a kid, we would take fishing vacations up to northern Minnesota. Now I know for 87% of you, that's the most awful thing you ever heard, but if you include me, it's 88%, because that was not always my favorite way to vacation. I wanted to go someplace fun, not to, forgive me for the three of you who are from Minnesota, but I didn't want to go to northern Minnesota. All there are lakes up there. Well, we'd go, we visit relatives. That was always fun. Twin cities are great. Then we'd just drive up and try to find some lake that no one had ever heard of before, that no one had ever fished before, because we knew that the pike and the bass would be in there. Well, one year we ended up on what was called North Star Lake, and it was actually a resort lake. It was one of our best trips ever. It was a lot of fun. And the, 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 the days would be, somebody would get up early with Dad and go out in the fishing boat, and then get back around 11, we'd swim, we'd have fun, we'd go play, and then at dusk, right before, right before dark, we would go back out, because that's when the best fishing is, and somebody else would go, well, it just so happened that it was my turn to go out at dusk, just me and Dad, and that was special. Go out in that little rented 12 or 14-foot boat with the Evinrude motor on the back, and, and go across the lake and try to find the bass hole or Troll for Northern Pike. That was that was it. That was fun. I'm not going to lie. Of course, this particular time, we probably shouldn't have gone out. Because my mom noticed storm clouds were forming in the distance. And I can hear her to this day saying, oh, Marlon, this isn't the night to go. We'll be fine back. So anyhow, we got in the boat, and of course, my dad had found the bass hole earlier in the day. And it was the farthest distance across the lake from the dock in which we were supposed to To make birth is that what you say I don't know it's not a barge but anyhow that's where uh, we went as far across the lake as you can the whole time we're kind of watching the storm clouds as they're rolling in we're hearing the thunder we're seeing the lightning but we're good and all of a sudden as the storm clouds get close, wha-bam I see my dad's fishing rod act like a palm tree in a hurricane it just like that and I thought oh this will be fun and he said, oh, man, here's the big one. And so he starts working. And if you've ever gone bass fishing, you know it's easy for the fish to get off the line. So you got to be careful. you got to go slow. And if you get a big bass, they'll pull the boat to wherever they want to go. Well, our boat starts getting pulled right into the lily pads. And this bass is smart. He's going to weave his way around all these lily pads. He's going to get off the hook. So we are in two, three feet of water in the lily pads, but my father is undeterred. He starts leaning over the side of the boat, pulling on the line like this. He's dropped the rod. He's pulling on the line. And he's like, I'm not going to lose him. I'm not going to lose him. I'm not going to lose him." And all of a sudden, he's reaching down. And he's ripping lily pads and Kermit the Frog right out of the lake, (laughs) trying to get to this bass. Because he knew it was the big one, right? He knew. He knew it was the big one. So we ended up getting this bass in the boat. He was thrilled, and and, and I got to tell you, there was a moment there I was scared for my life, because I tell you you this, this sounds like hyperbole. At one point, the only part of my father's body in the boat was from his knees to his feet. Everything else was down in the lily pads, and thank God he, through his spirit, gave me an idea that physically we were going to capsize, so I leaned back on the other side of the boat so we didn't pitch into the lily pad. Got the bass and looked up, and the storm wasn't coming. The storm was upon us. It was too late. In our pursuit of the fish, the storm had come. And so we turned around, and we rowed out a little bit, because anybody who's ever tried to turn your motor on in the lily pads, bad idea. Rowed out a little bit, and then we did everything that little Evanrude motor could do to get us across the lake. And the rain begins to come, and the lightning begins to strike as we're out in our little aluminum boat. The wind picks up, the waves pick up, and as we're racing across the lake, I see the big blonde poof of my mother's hair blowing in the wind up on the hill like this. Well, dad got his fish, but dad also got confronted by mom. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Now, I, I won't even try to convey what was spoken between them. I'm sure that they went off to have this little disagreement, but it was worth it. There's a lot of risk inherent in catching the big one. There's a lot of risk inherent in, 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 in making sure that you produce. When you're out on a lake, Not always. you, shouldn't, you should probably try to mitigate risk. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, there's always a risk assessment that's being done. There's always potential for things to go wrong. And storm clouds can gather really, really fast. You think you're in the middle of doing exactly what God has you to do. And you look up and here come the wind and the waves and the thunder and the lightning. What do we do when that happens? So many of you have made a plan to evangelize, to share the gospel And I promise you, if you share the gospel, on the authority of the scriptures we're going to read today, if you share the gospel, the storm clouds are going to gather, the wind's going to pick up, the waves are going to come crashing, the lightning's going to strike, and theoretically you're going to be put in peril. What are you going to do in that moment? Well, let's learn what to do in that moment from the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. We're in 13, verse 49. We're going to blow right through uh, that big number 14. And read the first three verses of chapter 14 as well. Here we go. We're in Pisidian Antioch, by the way. That's where we're located, up in the region of Galatia, in the mountains of Turkey. And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, at Iconium, they entered into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. We don't have a word for Christian yet, so when you see that word brethren or brothers, that's what we're implying. Stirred up their mind against the Christians. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now there's a reason I wanted to show you the persecution that arises in one city, followed by the the advance of the gospel in the next. If we just follow what we learned last week, when Paul and Barnabas get to Pisidian Antioch, they preach in the synagogue because they're working their plan. We're going to start with the Jewish people. That's going to get us a hearing with the God-fearers. The God-fearers are the ones who are converting to Judaism. And then if we meet God-fearers, we're going to meet Gentiles, who we also get to share the gospel with. So they're working their plan. Their plan is simple. It takes a lot of hard work, but they're doing it. They meet in the synagogue on a Saturday Saturday. The next week, we learned last week that almost the whole city gathers to hear their message. The gospel is so powerful and so winsome that the entire city gathers, and as we pick up today in verse 49, we find not just a city that's interested in the word of the gospel, an entire region. A region, not a city, a region. The Bible, I shouldn't say the Bible, the word of God is moving forward powerfully, as they speak about Jesus. And what's implied here, which is important for us to understand, is that Paul and Barnabas can't get to a region. Not even Jesus could get to a region. Remember, he sent out 12 and then he sent out 72 to help him preach the gospel. This implies that Paul and Barnabas are seeing people who they are converting to Christianity, turning around in very short order, and going and sharing the gospel of Jesus with others. That's what's taking place here, an entire region I did some study this week on the spread of Christianity in the first 3 centuries and the numbers got so compelling and so confusing I chose not to bring them to you. And that's because I only had to take one math class in college, Bible and theology major, thank God. But long story short, that there was such a spread, a rapid spread of Christianity against the odds that that, that our eyes should kind of pop and be open to the fact that when we get to 313 A.D., and Constantine decides to, that's the emperor, decides to convert to Christianity, it was politically advantageous for him to do so. Within 300 years, they go from 120 to millions. That means the gospel is being proclaimed not just by 13 apostles and their associates, but by the people who are being converted. They're quickly turning and saying, have you heard about Jesus? The message is powerful. The message is winsome, and it's moving forward, but the message also has some inherent problems. Now, I don't want you to go post on Facebook that Matt, Pastor Matt said that there was problems with the gospel. I'm not saying that, but I just mean in terms of its winsomeness to the world in which it is preached. The first is this. If you're preaching into the Gentile world for the very first time, it's really tough to conceptualize how a Gentile... Someone who has raised, been raised in Greek or Roman and North African culture can get their mind wrapped around a Jewish savior. That, that's, that, that just shows you the power of the Holy Spirit right there. That, that folks who did not have the internet, did not have the, the, the small world that we have in terms of, uh, uh, of the world today could somehow conceptualize that somebody who had been born in a country they may have heard of Came to, save the sins, came to save people from their sins and died and rose again to give them eternal life. So the idea that the gospel is moving forward through those first three centuries in and of itself is astounding. And that just goes to show you the Holy Spirit's the lead witness. Jesus said it in John chapter 15. He will witness to me, he being the Holy Spirit, and you will also witness. And in the same way today in this post-Christian world or post-Christendom world, if I could call it that, The reign of Christendom is over, if you will. The world is is, is not happy with Christianity. In this post-Christendom world, the Holy Spirit's going to continue to have to go before us because the message has inherent challenges. One of the inherent challenges that has always been there that the Roman and Greek writers were so upset about was the inherent monotheism of Christianity. How dare you not put an idol in the pantheon? How dare you tell me I can't burn incense to the emperor anymore? How dare you tell me that I can't worship Aphrodite or Zeus or, or Dionysus anymore. How dare you say that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come to the Father except by him. That didn't play then in the same way that it barely plays now. It, it seems inherently intolerant. And the early writers in Greek and Roman literature who came in contact with Christianity would say, these people stink. We can't stand them. How dare they? proclaim Jesus as the only way, but that was what was being proclaimed. Not only that, but if you dug a little deeper, that what the world would consider constrained sexuality of Judeo-Christian ethics would have been a real issue in the ancient world, it was a real issue, in the same way that it's an issue today. The idea that we are gonna reserve sexual activity within marriage is, is something that, that the ancient world, just, it just that's just not how it operated. That's just not what they did. It's not how they they lived. So as you dig a little deeper into Judeo-Christian ethics, people would have gone, what? What do you mean? And of course, we have 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to prove that was an issue. People were butting up against that constrained sexuality and saying, that's God's plan? It's not the way we've been living. And of course, there was another major issue with early Christianity, and that was the inclusion of the poor and slave class. That This is what caused one writer to call us the haters of humanity because Christians had the audacity to let the slaves worship with the free people from the very earliest times. So when I say that it's remarkable that the gospel was spreading in Greco-Roman culture, I mean that it was remarkable. And what that means is what we talked about two weeks ago. People were teaching the word of the Lord with clarity in a winsome manner and with the spirit of the Lord that people might be converted. And why should we assume, with all of those issues that they faced in that time, that the issues we face in this time are any greater? We shouldn't. Yes, we have hurdles for people to climb over if they're going to reach for and find Christ, but we should be helping them over those hurdles every step of the way. If it could happen then, it can certainly happen now. But, of course, we learn here in Acts chapter 13 that great success comes with great opposition. It says the leading women of the town incited the leading men of the town to drive them out. Now, what's going on there? In a very simple sense, we have learned from the scholars and the writers of the ancient world that women in Greco-Roman culture were very, very interested in the morality of, 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 of Judaism, Therefore, many of the women in the synagogue would have been raised in the law of Moses more than their male counterparts. And therefore, it's it's probable that the ladies of the synagogue who are going, hold on a minute, what do you mean we don't have to follow the law of Moses anymore and this Jesus offers us salvation from our sins? No. And they go home and they tell their husbands that are leading men of the city. And we find that the apostles are driven out. They They don't have the opportunity to stay. They don't have the opportunity to stay. They have to go. They have to leave or something bad's going to happen to them. And as you can see, the disciples take this very personally, don't they? No, they don't take it personally. They did just what Jesus told his disciples to do. Take off your sandals, bang them together. Three of you just woke up. Welcome back. (laughs) Bang them together, dust the dust dust off your your sandals and leave the town because it's not worthy for you to continue to preach there. Don't take it personally personally. God can take it personally, but we can't. Just remember that. That's not the main point of the sermon. We've got two we're going to land on before the end of the day. But, but, but remember, don't take it personally. Jesus said, when you get rejected, bang those sandals together and get out of there. Okay? When you get rejected, don't, don't bang your sandals at somebody. Don't Your dress shoes, your slip-ons, whatever you wear, don't bang them at anybody. But they're just, at the end of the town, they're like, we don't even want the dust from this town on us. The good news is the gospel's going to move forward in and Antioch. You want to know how we know? We got that crazy book of Galatians sitting in our Bible. That means even without Paul and Barnabas, the message went forward, and more and more people were coming to know Christ. And so they don't even need to be there for the message to move forward. They are going to pass back through and Antioch, on their way home. So they weren't deterred. They got driven out once. That doesn't mean they never go back. But that's a different story for a different day. What doesn't follow this story is the very last verse of chapter 13. It doesn't seem normal that they would be driven out of town and all of their hard work would be put in jeopardy. And then it says what? The disciples were filled with joy. Now, just just Friday night, AJ and I were playing an Xbox game. We're sitting there and we're taking over the world and all these kids are running through. And, And some are crawling under the cord and some are stepping over the cord and some are crawling under the cord and some are stepping over the cord. And we had played a stupid video game for maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes, and one of the kids tripped on the cord. And the first thing I did is look at AJ and said, did we save it? And he said, no. That little half an hour in a mundane task got me a little bit frustrated. All of my work to take over the world had been thwarted, right? Just a little bit frustrated. Imagine... The journey that Paul and Barnabas have been on from Syria through, through Cyprus, up through the mountains into Basidia and Antioch, the whole region is coming to know Jesus, and somebody trips over the cord. They have worked so hard to get to this point, and it's, the rug's pulled out from under them. Let's not take the human element out of this. This stinks. Yet, they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. They're just fine. That doesn't say that, that's not to say they weren't disappointed. That's not to say that they weren't frustrated. But in, perhaps in spite of their frustration, in spite of their disappointment, in spite of their concern, I hope the gospel continues to move forward because we got to leave. They're okay. When was the last time you felt Holy Spirit-inspired joy? When was the last time you experienced the presence of the Lord so keenly that in spite of your circumstances, you had a smile on your face? The Bible says not that that happens now and again. The Bible implies that that is normative. That's normative. That there should be joy in spite of circumstance. Because if there's joy in spite of circumstance, the gospel can continue to move forward. Can it not? If you get down and you get in the dumps and you start to think, I didn't say it right. I didn't do it right. I could have done something differently. I really messed that one up. The gospel won't move forward. But the gospel does move forward because Paul and Barnabas just go a little bit further towards the Mediterranean Sea and they end up at Iconium. Once again, they work their plan. They go into the synagogue. They begin to preach. Their words are persuasive. Jews and Gentiles alike are coming to faith. But we find out in verse two what? There's people who don't agree, and they begin to poison the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. So they get there, and the work begins, and it gets going good again, and opposition arises. We don't know what poison the mind means. We don't know what it specifically refers to, but I have no doubt that it had to do with the truth of their message and the content of their character. They're being personally attacked for the gospel. And for the second time in four verses, what comes next doesn't seem to follow. Look at verse three. So they remain for a long time. The bass went into the lily pads, and they're leaning over the side of the boat, pulling them up and pulling them out. So... They remained for a long time. The minds of the people were poisoned against them. The persecution was real. The aspersions had been cast. So they stayed and continued to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because they hadn't been driven out. They still had an opportunity. They needed to share the gospel. And the idea that that, that this is expected and normative, has to get down into the very spirits of Paul and Barnabas or else the work will not get done. And I ask you today, for those of you who have been so bold as to make a plan and are actively trying to share the gospel or get people into a hearing of the gospel in church, you're working on it right now. Can you get to the point where you recognize that not only should joy in the Holy Spirit be normative, but persecution is normative as well? That's what Paul told Timothy years later. You don't need to turn there, but if you'd like to, I'll give you just a moment. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 and following, Paul looks back upon this time of his ministry and tells Timothy exactly what Timothy ought to think about it. It says in 2 Timothy verse three or chapter 3, verse 10 and following, you, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra. And we're not even going to talk about the horrible thing that happened at Lystra. Which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecuted. Persecuted because of what? The gospel, the aim. Persecuted because he preached Jesus. Persecuted does not mean suffered financial trials or health problems or relational discord. Persecution means people treated me bad because I talked to them about Jesus. That's what he's referring to. I've heard this quoted before and been like, yeah, I'm being persecuted by the enemy because I had the audacity to plan a vacation, and now it's all falling apart. I haven't specifically heard that one, but that's the idea, right? (laughs) Something bad happens in your life. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm being persecuted. Folks, the enemy's trying to destroy everybody, not just you. Not just you. Bad stuff happens to good people. Jesus said it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. This persecution is because people have the audacity to share Jesus. And therefore, I ask you, when was the last time you were persecuted? And I mean that. Because theoretically, the test of your godliness will result in persecution being an outcome. Verse 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, there, there are people in churches, they love to talk about persecutions and trials. I like to talk about happy things. But I'll tell you, we have a measure of our faith right now. If it's not getting hard for the gospel, it's probably not the gospel. If no one's casting aspersions on your character you're probably not sharing Jesus enough. I know you hate me right now. You can't hate the Bible, though, and that's what said it. If, if things aren't getting hard and you're not going, I don't know how we're going to finish this work that God called me to, because it doesn't seem things are going right. If it doesn't get hard, you're probably not doing it right. Th- that's what's being said here. Paul and Barnabas Decided that they would have that attitude before they ever left their home church. And we need to develop that attitude before we ever leave this location. Before we ever leave this location. So the Holy Spirit bore witness with signs and wonders. He gave them exactly what they needed to convert those poisoned minds. And I encourage you, the Holy Spirit, if you stay close to him, will give you exactly what you need To overcome poisoned minds because that's what jesus does here's our two takeaways today short and sweet light shiners stay on mission in spite of persecution you say i came to church to hear that i knew that already yes you did know that already yes you did But so few of us are living in this day in and day out that the Holy Spirit should be convicting our hearts on some level. That we're not talking about Jesus and therefore we're not persecuted and therefore our godliness is not being made complete right now. Light shiners stay on mission. They they say, you know what, that didn't work out. We're gonna go this direction. You know, we have done a lot of things in 38 years that we Used to be called outreaches here at the church. We now call them ministry evangelism. That's how it's that's how it's written in the books right now. I can't tell you how many times we've done something in ministry evangelism, and we 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 you know got the volunteers together, we spent all the money, we tried to meet a felt need of the community, and tons of people showed up and it was awesome. And I can't tell you how many times then we ran it back for a second year and nobody showed up and it stunk. What happened? We don't know. So we just move on. We just move on. We find another bit of evangelism to do, another, another program to try something different. But what we're really into here at Victory Life, what we really believe in with all of our hearts is not simply to give you an opportunity to share from out of this place as a group. What we're really into is the idea that every single one of us is responsible for the gospel and that the greatest evangelism we will ever do will take place in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and in your school. There were no ministry evangelism events with Paul or Barnabas. It was people who heard the word and then conveyed the word. I'm not putting ministry evangelism down. I love big stuff. Bring out the community choirs and the brunches and the felt needs and serving people in the community who are underprivileged. I'm all about it, so don't hear me different. But our greatest impact will be when you and I decide we're willing to be persecuted for Jesus. Because the gospel is winsome. And it will win people to him in spite of the hurdles. And the way that we can do that is to remain in the joy and power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have to do. We have to recognize that there is a joy that transcends hardship. And there is a person on our side that is stronger than the enemy god's holy spirit he is god's holy spirit and he wants to commune with you jesus said i will send you another helper just like me in reference to the holy spirit he's just like me well if you love jesus today love the holy spirit in his presence for he will give you the joy and the power to overcome in tough circumstances So today, if your plan seems too big or like too much work, go back to the Lord and say, give me the power and the wherewithal, Lord, to stay on mission. If your proclamation has seemed like it's fallen on ears flat, go back to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, help me to share again. And if it was my presentation, help me to refine it. If it seems that fear has overcome We learn today that communion with the Spirit of the Lord overcomes fear and therefore allows us to serve and give as God designed us to give. What is it that the Lord's speaking to you today? Will you give it over to him and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to bring you joy and power to evangelize the lost? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray first today for those who are actively sharing, inviting, developing relationships for the gospel. Those with a plan, I pray for them first. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you give them the joy that they need? Would you give them the presence and power that comes with seeking you so that they can do what you've called them to do? Would you remind them that they need to seek you and find you before being your witnesses and that each and every day they can be empowered by you and you will give them exactly what they need. I pray that they would speak in boldness, act in boldness, pray in boldness over the lost and that, Lord, even in our day, if need be, signs and wonders will accompany your saints. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray second today for those who have tried before and have failed, at least in their minds and their hearts, and therefore their fear of failure has precluded them from continuing to share the gospel. Oh, God, would you drive out that fear today? May they bang their sandals against one another and move forward for you. Oh God, I can't imagine how many hard things your children have gone through just in this room when they try to tell somebody about you. They're real and they stink and they're hard. When somebody talks bad about you or mocks you or persecutes you, Oh, Lord, would you help us to stay on mission? Would you help us to get back on mission? Would you encourage us that this mission is everything? Because Jesus Christ died in order that while we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Oh, Lord, bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus and use us. Thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would seek that spirit not only in our times of worship here, but each day before our feet hit the floor. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, would you stand today? It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Been good to take communion, be good to have worship, be good to hear from the word of God. And you can say now, the persecution sermon is over. I am just thrilled. And so we'll be on next week to the second missionary journey. If you do want to follow along, I would encourage you to read through the end of chapter 14 and into chapter 15 this week. There's a great big church event that took place. It's the first council of the church in Acts chapter 15. It's called the Jerusalem Council. If you read that this week, it'll set you up for everything we're going to talk about next week. So if you have an opportunity to put that little note in your phone before you leave, I would encourage you to do so. With all of that said, so long.